Hello listeners, welcome to another podcast by Analytics Insights. For today's podcast, we have with us Mr. Narendran Thillaswanam, Chief Technological Officer, WNS Buram. His areas of expertise include automation, emerging AI, intelligent document processing, analytics, business intelligence, and RPA. Hello, Narendran. Welcome to Analytics Insight. Hello, Samarpita. Pleasure having <laughs> myself here. Yeah, it's a great pleasure to have you here. So uh, let's start by, can you please uh, start by giving us a brief about the company, its specialization and the services that your company offers? Absolutely, uh, Samarpita. So WNS Wurram, uh, the company that I work for, uh, is a global hyper automation services company. Now we set out with a mission that we will work exclusively in the process automation domain. So for the last 12 years, uh, we have been focusing exclusively within process automation industry. Um, we started our journey with uh, BPM, um, you know, which is the predominant process automation, process orchestration uh, technology. And over the years, we have brought a plethora of technologies under the hyper automation umbrella. So uh, we specialize in RPA, we specialize in BPM, uh, IDP, which is document processing and uh, process mining and all the related uh, technologies, you know, under the umbrella of hyper automation, which is useful for the process automation industries, what we specialize in uh, Samarpita. That's great. That's really great. So can you kindly share your journey since the inception of the company, like its values, mission, or vision? Uh, definitely, yeah. Now, before I talk about uh, you know, our company's values and mission, let me take a step back. Um, now, when you look at some of the great companies, I, I, I don't know what you will consider as great company, but in my mind, GE comes as a great company, Apple comes out as a great company, Toyota, right? There are several companies which have lasted for um, you know multiple decades, have pivoted into new domains, new areas, and have successfully you know navigated uh, the landscape, you know the market landscape. One thing that you'll find common in all these companies is that they have a very deep culture. If you ask me, when you look at Apple, the thing that comes out is they build cool products. You know, they understand their consumers and the products may change, but the coolness factor will not change, right? So the Apple has a culture of bringing in innovative and cool products. Toyota has a culture of uh, maintaining high quality vehicles. Similarly, Wurum was built on a premise, okay? In fact, we didn't start with a dream, uh, with a vision, with a mission, et cetera. In fact, our founder, Venkatesh Ramarathinam, he had a dream, asked, you know, his dream was to build the most nourishing and most effective workplace for employees to work on, on the planet. So we are a very deeply employee-centric company. In fact, the very word Vuram is a Tamil word. It means manure, but it implies nourishment. So our belief is that we act as a nourishment for our employees. The employees act as a nourishment. In other words, if we take care of our employees, you know, we are 100% certain that they will take care of our customers and together, you know, we can take care of the society. So our, our value statement is that, you know, we are a nourishment for our employees, our customers, 
and the society. So that's a, that's a premise in which the company was built, uh, uh, Samarpita. The company is, you know, we have um, 12 principles. Uh, of course, I won't go into the details of those principles, but we are very much yeah. led by principles. And I'll talk about just one of them, which is, um, you know, don't be afraid of mistakes. You know, do not fear or hide mistakes. Learn from it, but never repeat it. So in other words, what we are telling our employees is that even though we work on mission critical applications, mistakes do happen. And without mistakes, you're not gonna learn. And without learning, there's no innovation. Without innovation, there's no tech industry, right? So this is a company which focuses very deeply on employee welfare, employee, you know, employee-centric culture, and led by uh, you know, principles. That's how we would, that's, that's how we have been grooming and building the company. My journey, I joined this company roughly about five years back. And uh, at that point, Wuram was largely a BPM-focused company. We were a services company, but providing BPM technology services. And my role, I've been fortunate enough to uh, say that uh, since I joined, we have expanded from BPM into multiple technology area, you know, such as AI, RPA, and other hyper automation services. So that's been my journey, and it's been very gratifying, very fulfilling uh, journey. If you ask me, Samarpita. That was amazing. That was really insightful. And I also think the employee are the pillars of the organization, and when they are really taken care of, like the organization works well too. So uh, coming onto the topic of hyper automation. Can you please mention some hyper-automation technology trends that will impact PFSI in 2024? Definitely. Yeah. Um, so there are three technologies that we are closely watching, uh, Samarpita, you know, when it comes to PFSI. The first, which is not really a new technology, but has been around for a while, is low-code. Low code is, you know, visual development. You know, you don't have to write Java, Python. You know, the what we call as high code or pro code. You can simply drag and drop and build your applications uh, by using drag and drop. Now, this low code movement, according to Gartner, is accelerating at such a pace that in the next couple of years, we'll see 75% of large organizations, you know, would have adopted low code. So, in in, a, in other words, we are seeing a huge shift, and in 2024. BFSI will definitely be leading this shift from traditional pro-code development into low-code development. And uh, we are sitting at the pillar of this low-code movement because Wurum as a company has been working on low-code for the last 12 years, ever since our inception. So that's uh, you know technology trend number one. The second uh, trend that we are closely watching is that the core RPA, robotic process automation, was a very hot industry in the last um, four or five years, especially during the pandemic. And now we are beginning to see that um, a lot of pure play RPA vendors are moving on to hyper automation. So in other words, if you just have a RPA story, that's not going to click. You know, we need to infuse RPA with AI or other technologies in order to make them meaningful. And the core RPA market is getting commoditized. A lot of banks will either move from pure play RPA into hyper automation or, you know, the the commodity game will kick in, you know, cost will become a very important factor for several of the BFSI customers. The third um, <clears throat> uh, trend we are watching, and this I believe will kick in in 2024 in high gear, is one of process discovery and process mining. Now, as you know, large banks, especially ones that are global, have hundreds of processes, thousands of processes spanning across 
multiple geographies. In order to find efficiencies, it is not possible to do it manually. So we have tools that can guide us and tell us, you know, what are the various differences in the processes? What kind of inefficiencies do they exist in the process and how do we automate some of them? Um, this is the opposite of RPA where RPA helps in automation. Process discovery helps us in finding out those inefficiencies. And I think this will gain momentum in 2024. So these are three technologies we are watching within BFSI. I'll give you a bonus, uh, Samarpita. Um, generative AI, AI, everybody is talking about it. I believe BFSI will start to experiment. Um, although I don't believe there will be a great movement, production movement yet, it's too soon. Uh, but a lot of investments will be there in generative AI, more from a prototyping and from an experimentation standpoint. Okay, so those are the, those are the you asked for three, I gave you four. Uh, some yeah, thanks for the bonus answer though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so on this note, please tell us about reinforcing anti-money laundering compliance in BFSI with AI and low code. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, see, one of the things I think all of us will agree that the digital payments are accelerating, right? Especially if you look at UPI, yeah. five years back, 10 years back, you know, mobile payments were unheard of. Now today we are moving tons and tons of money in real time, right? Now financial crime is a multi-billion dollar industry. According to McKinsey, it's a $214 billion industry of which anti-money laundering is, money laundering is one of the, you know, facets of financial crime. Now, one of the key aspects, uh, Samapita, if you look at, is five years back, it was okay for us to monitor transactions after they have happened. Today, these transactions are happening in real time. They're not checks. They're not even like wire transfer, where you make a wire transfer and you get the fund in 24 hours or you know eight hours or 24 hours. These are transactions that are happening in real time. So you need to have solutions which can trap into this real-time capabilities and prevent you know, these kind of money laundering and other financial crimes from happening. And AI actually plays a very significant role. We need to identify patterns where these funds are getting moved. What are the cross-border transactions that are happening? How, how, how are these funds actually distributed across multiple uh, you know, related uh, people or agencies? So all of that requires a new way of thinking and large data sets. And this is where I think you know, AI-led anti-money laundering initiatives are becoming big. And uh, I think BFSI will be a benefactor by adopting this particular movement. That's, that's great. That's really amazing. So uh, how can institutions in BFSI achieve greater operating efficiencies leveraging low code automation? Yeah, another great question, uh, Samarpita. Basically, when you look at organizations, right? So when you look at, when you, when you walk across, say, a bank or your uh, you know, insurance company, like most enterprises today, there will be a technology arm, you know, which will be responsible for building applications and maintaining applications, maintaining the infrastructure, the tech infrastructure, and so on and so forth. And there will be a slew of business units, you know, who will be giving requirements. So the businesses, they constantly change and they have requirements coming in all the time. And they have to feed these requirements to the IT department and IT will do the implementation work. So this is pretty standard uh, in the you know, game that is played in the industry for several years now. Now with low code, what we are seeing, low code and no code in particular, what we are seeing is a shift in the 
arbitrage between IT and business, meaning business can now make applications and they can actually make changes to applications without overly relying on IT. IT is still important, you know, for security, for governance, for uh, creating reusable assets, and all of those reasons, you know, for troubleshooting, for performance tuning. Um, so there's still, we still need IT, but for making changes to your applications, we do not necessarily have to rely on IT team and wait for the IT team to respond back. This gives unprecedented agility to business. So businesses can, you know, they are sort of free to make some of those changes, build applications at a faster pace. So, which means what we call as a citizen's developer, okay, developers from the business units, we are empowering them at a, un, you know, at a very fast pace. Operational efficiencies, because A, you don't have to wait for IT team to get freed up and work on your changes. And B, business has the subject matter expertise. So if someone with a subject matter expertise can make the change, if he or she can make the change, rather than having to explain it to a non-SME uh, and then make the change and then do the testing, you can, you can understand the differences, right? So the biggest operational efficiency I see is by creating a center of excellence, giving power back to business and enabling citizens developer to do more on low code, no code. I think that's very powerful. Well, the, the fact that you said business can now make application without necessarily relying on IT is uh, worth thinking for. So it's, it's yeah, really but let amazing. me also <laughs> yeah let me also <laughs> caution uh, it yeah. doesn't mean we need a we need a cowboy culture you cannot have all the business do things on their own completely it is yeah, still required sure. but yeah exactly right we are only talking about um, the role of it is shifting from pure play implementers to governance and you know uh, taking all those efficiency gains and creating security maintaining security and all of those aspects and giving control back to business uh, to some extent. Yes, of <laughs> course. But the thing you said, like, it's another angle to everything we generally look at. So it, it was really, yeah, it was really yeah. insightful. So uh, coming on to the next question. So what do you think, what would be the next big tech trend to watch out for with AI taking the center stage? Sure. I think this if, 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 if you ask this to any person, I think even <laughs> of eighth grader, I think yeah. the answer would be generative AI, right? Yes. Everybody will oh, give the absolutely. answer. Yes. I, I'm sure you would have played with chat GPT and, you know, the kind of things that it can do. Yeah. Um, see, the when you, when you look at uh, generative AI and in particular, you know, any generative system like GPT and, you know, which is what chat GPT and uh, open AI has done, um, it's a fantastic tool. I mean, it, every day I work with it, I play with it, I tinker with it, and it continues to amaze me to the extent it, you know, to which it can understand natural language. The, its ability to converse with you in a perfect grammatical, with a per perfectly gram grammatically correct sentence, and uh, the way it can understand what you try to do and respond to it, you know, it's, it's mind boggling. Even five years back, we were nowhere near this kind of industry trend. Now, before we get too excited, what we need to be careful is a lot of individuals are, you know, school students, teachers, poets, um, and uh, blog writers. They're all enamored by this GPT, but the question is, is GPT ready for business, right? Now, one of the biggest barriers as we see it is, 
Now, enterprises have their own uh, data, data that is very peculiar, very specific to that particular system. Like when you say PNR, in the context of travel agency, PNRs have a certain meaning. Now, any system that is trained on public data may or may not understand what PNR means. Similarly, when you say orange, orange could be a fruit for a GPT model, but you may have a you may have a project name called Orange in your industry, and you may be asking questions about the project, not necessarily the fruit. You see what I mean? Um, so these large models uh, today do not understand enterprise data and enterprise context, but there's a lot of research that is going on to take the capabilities from the public domain um, chat GPT-like capabilities, but apply it on enterprise data in a secure manner so that enterprise data doesn't leave their you know, leave the confines of the organization. And that's the biggest research. Um, it's, it's happening in pockets. I think in 2024, we will begin to see a lot more investments. Now that ChatGPT has proven well with respect to the broad horizontal capabilities, we will see a shift in a lot of dollars chasing, how do we you know, take the enterprise data and use it with uh, you know, a GPT-like system. Um, this will drive a lot of very innovative use cases and you know like for example customer support is a, is a big big case study um, today you know you have to go through so many hours you have to be on the you have to be on hold the agent on the other side will log into 50 different systems and find your answers and sometimes you you know he or she will be able to answer you but some many times you know you come back empty handed and the experience is very frustrating right now with ai you know with its ability to mine millions and millions of enterprise data and records Hopefully, you know, we will be able to get those answers at a much faster pace and, uh, you know, we'll be able to solve problems much quicker, uh, Samarpita. So that's, that I think is very promising. I would, without a doubt, pin my uh, hopes on generative AI as a next big, big trend. <laughs> so hopefully <laughs> a computer can become a human. <laughs> It is becoming right. I feel. Yeah, it is. <laughs> they say, it you is. know, yes, it is passing Turing test and all that. Yeah, right. <laughs> It is funny, but it is it absolutely is happening right now. It it can be confusing, but it is <laughs> right. And and you know this is the second big trend we are watching in our lives. In my in in, in my life, you know, I saw internet uh, boom back in yeah. uh, 95, 96, 96 to two thousand, created completely different value chain, different organizations, and here is here we are, experiencing the second major boom with AI. You know, becoming widespread. Yeah, like uh, no one's even dreamt it even like this could could have happened in the future <laughs> absolutely you know three years yeah. back just three years back if you had asked anyone you know no one would have believed if, if we had a conversation like this say yeah. even last year people would be <laughs> laughing at us <laughs> yeah. sure. but today you know this is the reality this people, is happening every, everybody is talking about it yeah yeah very right yeah yeah so coming on to the next question so can you kindly tell us about future-proofing compliance and risk management with hyper-automation? Oh, definitely. Yeah, see, um, again, let me take a step back. Let's understand what is happening in the compliance department, right? So with, especially after the pandemic, um, you know, with so much of content that has moved towards the digital world, um, what is happening is there's a lot of regulation that is also coming across. So when you look at compliance department, there are local laws, you know, county level, there are state laws with the state government, laws from country. And if you are a global company, you know, international laws. 
there are also laws that are specific to an industry, right? And uh, so changes are happening in the regulatory framework all the time. And when you look at, um, you know, how these changes are uh, from, a, from a governance standpoint, right? I mean, not meeting these change regulatory and compliance changes can not only cause financial losses, you know, you'll be fined, but, you know, the brand value can also take a hit, right? So in general, the way people solve this problem is there will be a set of people who scan the markets, who scan the industry for these changes. They do an impact analysis, and then uh, they do a scorecarding in terms of how much of changes are required. You know, you may want to, you may have to pull a product, you may have to change your manufacturing process. You may have to have uh, certain labor uh, regulations coming up. So all of these changes are, you know, fed into a system. And you can very well imagine how a small change from a regulatory organization can feed into, you know, almost every part of your business sometimes, right? It could affect your manufacturing process, you are hiring, you are, uh, say for example, let's say you're playing with GPT and you are used GPT for your internal work. Uh, and suddenly there is a regulation that says you cannot use GPT, which is what happened with Italy. Now this will have a slew of ramification and one has to you know, monitor this. Today, most of this is managed manually or with uh, you know, some kind of spreadsheets and uh, uh, workflows, you know, basic uh, SharePoint like systems. Now, what if you had a hyper automation technology? What if your technology could actually scan the market, maybe use AI, find out the relevant you know, conversations and this is all possible you know, with NLP becoming popular and any changes relevant to the system, you could actually bring it to human for a review. So your experts will review it rather than you know, scanning the market every day for changes. And once those changes are made, you know, let's say that you have a system which can actually do auto scoring of the impact. Yeah, and once the scoring is done again, you know, you, you have humans to actually review it. And then we talk about the change management, you know, which departments need to undergo changes. All of this requires a workflow. You know, have, have the changes been implemented? Or how long is it going to take? What kind of planning do we need to do? So when you bring all of this in a workflow system and you use the right set of technologies and tools, obviously you are going to make governance, you know, very, very efficient. And that is where hyper automation comes into picture. You can, you can bring all of this in a single dashboard. You can use uh, uh, alerts. And if you are in the manufacturing segment, you can use IoT to gather information. So, you know, end of the day, by bringing multiple of these technologies together, I think the compliance uh, department, compliance and risk management department can benefit uh, very much. Right? Yeah. So how hyper automation enables flexibility for organization to navigate rapid tech adoption? Absolutely. Yeah. So this is, you know, if you take the previous example again, for example, we talked about a fairly large change, right? Now there yeah. are several moving parts. What hyper automation really does is it's almost like agile methodology. You know, hyper automation is, I say, is less about technology and more about agility, flexibility. So, you know, what you normally do is you map out your process end to end and ask this question, can I automate this step? So for example, if you take, uh, say something like order to cash, you know, where you receive uh, a, a, a purchase order, you have to ship your, you have to look at your inventory. If there is enough inventory, you then uh, ship the goods and then you receive your payment and close the books. Now this can cut across your manufacturing department, your inventory department, your finance department. And then, you know, once your customer makes the payment, you again have to close the books. So there are multiple departments involved in a simple process like ordering something. 
and then you know you are actually receiving the payment for that particular order it takes multiple days now with hyper automation you go on ask this question you know if you had humans who are actually reading those emails for an order opening of the email opening an attachment and then checking in your inventory system etc the question is with hyper automation can we have a bot an rpa bot read an email yes an rpa bot can read an email can you actually extract information from your email yes you can use an ai to do that can you have uh, the same system you know the machine actually check for inventory in your erp system yes you know it can do that can the systems compose an email saying that we have enough of an inventory and here is your shipment date it can be done so every step in the process you know we ask this question is this possible for us to automate and you do it in an iterative way we don't take a big bang approach we automate one step at a time we operate one and then we go to the next one we automate it third one we automate it and then slowly you you know you make your process leaner efficient and this is how you achieve you know it helps you achieve your digital transformation right so all of this brings flexibility because you know you can decide which one to be manual which one to automate number one you can decide you don't have to do all the automation in one shot you can you know automate one step see the result see how you know it is working out and then go to the next step and so on and so forth it's very agile very iterative from that point of view and this is what really brings the flexibility and agility within your organization hope uh, makes sense right yeah absolutely so as, as you mentioned before like you mentioned ki few years back it seemed impossible but now it's happening it's happening in real time right that's <laughs> absolutely right you know <laughs> yeah. Uh, many 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 of them many of the technologies we thought will you know we'll probably not experience like the rpa robot you know the bots themselves yeah even though it's a relatively simpler technology compared to ai it's a very useful technology it assumes a persona of a person if a person can do a work manually these bots are mimicking the human work and that uh, that in itself is an amazing uh, thing you know um it, it, just like how a human would open a browser or log into a system you know scroll to a third button rpa bot can simulate all of that experience at a relatively low price point and yeah so these innovations are all coming together making hyper automation a reality today yeah that that sounds amazing so uh, that wraps our questions today so i'm sure your insi- insights will definitely help all our listeners So thank you for joining with us today. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Mr. Narendra. Thank you, Samarpita. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you. Samarpita. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Rahul. Thank you, Rahul. Yeah. Yeah. Bye. Bye. It was nice talking to you. Nice talking to you, Samarpita. Yep. Bye. 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 Bye.